Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Dan Oliverio. I'm an author, chubby chaser, and this is Fat Liberation Month, not just on the Big Fat Gay Podcast, but all around the world. So we're going to be talking about that and a whole lot of other things. Um, meanwhile, it is a sunny and lovely day here in West Hollywood, California, and um, I just feel like just chirpy today. That's how I feel. I feel chirpy. <laughs> it's the chirpy one. I'm the yes. chirpy guy. I'm Trevor Keyson. I'm a super chub. Happy Fat Liberation Month, Charlie Brown. Um, <laughs> I am also in I don't know sunny West Hollywood, although I have my blinds drawn. Um, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm chirpy. I'm not chirpy. I'm. Uh, I'm burbly, maybe. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> to my left is not Michael. Um, he is unfortunately not with us today. He had a uh, work catastrophe. Um, <laughs> Poor baby. And. Uh, this is our last episode before a hiatus for uh, more work stuff for Michael. His form of vacation is working even harder on other stuff. But even though we're not going on hiatus, we're going to have some minisodes for you. So you get to look forward to that during Fat Liberation Month. Um, so take it down. He swears he wanted to be here. He swears. <laughs> He's, he sends his love to yes. all of you. <laughs> but he could not make it today in body. Uh, hi, my name is Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living in sunny Hollywood. And today I am... You know what? I, it is Fat Liberation Month, and I'm feeling very liberated. Uh, well, you know, because I'm fully vaxxed now, and I'm finally able to go back out in the real world. Yay! I even went. Yay. I went to a theme park yesterday. And you had, did not. I went. I had a boysenberry food festival at Knott's Berry Farm. Ooh, oh, I'm the, jealous. Uh, that sounds. Lovely. The rides are all closed, and it was. <laughs> Apparently the lightest crowd of the summer, which I was fine with. But, yeah, but uh, you got boysenberry. My yeah. quest is to find a live actual berry of boysen. Oh, I had the, like, I had a bunch of them yesterday. You should have told me. I'd have put one in a little uh, jar. Of I, I, I have been in search of an actual boysenberry for years. Yes. Well, I got to say, if any of you do make it to the Knott's Berry Farm Boysenberry Festival, seek out the boysenberry Mai Tai. Oh, my. That was oh boy. hands down the treat of the day for me. Some, some other very tasty stuff out there, but... Uh, the Mai Tai was the winner. Of For the those day. of you who don't know, um, the boysenberry was invented at Knott's Berry Farm by Mr. Boysen, a partner of Mr. Knott's. Yes, it's a it's a big conspiracy from Big Berry. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right. The money of Big Berry. Uh, well, welcome back to the Big Fake, Big Fat Gay Podcast. Light. <laughs> yeah. we're 70 it's, we're 75 percent of what you're used to we're uh, a three cheese pizza today instead of a four cheese pizza it is true um, but um being fat liberation month uh i thought it was this came up in in pop culture and i thought it was yes. really significant because so often when we think of fat liberation we it, it it tends to be a lot of things you see in body positivity about women and by and for women and uh the bbc had this wonderful uh, was it an article, Trevor, or a documentary? An article. Pieces. An article on basically how body image affects men's mental health yes. in a new study. And I thought this was outstanding. Did you want to tell us a little bit about it, Trevor? Yeah. Um, I think it's especially big because, I mean, we love to bash on the UK and the <laughs> the I know, crazy anti-fat stuff going on there. Um, but I thought this was lovely. Um, so it was um, a, a research study by an organization called Calm, uh, campaign against living miserably, which I love that name. That's I do too. Uh, <laughs> very British, very perfect. Um, and it was so it was uh, calm with Instagram, uh, and they found that 48 percent of men aged sixteen to forty had struggled because they struggled because of how they feel about their body. 
Of 2,000 males asked, 58% said the pandemic affected how they feel about their body in a negative way. Only 26% said they were happy with how they look. And 21% said they don't feel comfortable talking to anyone about it. Yeah, and that to me was significant because a lot of, I sometimes wonder why is why is so much fat activism, it's very much focused by and for women, which is is appropriate because it is definitely a feminist issue. On the other hand, sometimes you can it can it can feel like, well, where are the men? Where are all the men? I know there are fat men somewhere, right? Mm. I've dated well, them, so <laughs> so, and I thought this is really key that you know a fifth don't even feel comfortable talking about their feelings around their body. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because of that, Calm is launching um, these things called body talks where they um, are bringing in different uh, body image campaigners uh, such as uh, Jamie Lang, Stevie Blaine, Leon McKenzie, and Russell Kane. Jamie Lang says, you scroll through hashtags like hashtag body positivity and hashtag self-love on Instagram, and you see so many women sharing their experience of body changes during a lockdown and advice for self-care and motivational messages to support their community. It's hard to ignore the fact that there's a stark gender divide here and men are often missing from that conversation. Yeah, I I think that's, it's really important. And there's, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And it comes down to, you know, ultimately the individual. But uh, I, I think this is going to be a theme in our episode today of, of like, what is, how do people want to participate? How do men want to participate yeah. in, in activism? Or do they even think of it as activism? For some people, activism is just taking your shirt off at the pool because that's a, it's a huge triumph. I mean, yeah, it, it, I, can, I can understand how it got tied up into uh, just you know pure feminism and people thinking of it as being a female issue. But mm-hmm. hopefully we can dip a little bit more into how this rolls down on all of us today. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I see we've got something in Fat Watch today. Yes, uh, it's Fat Watch. It's 2021. Roll Yay! the music, Michael. Yay! He's far away hitting the little the play button. And we're here. We're in. <laughs> um, so I saw this uh, in the Long Beach Post, uh, which is, you know, support local news. Lovely. And it was an article about Fat Girl Has Moxie, who is a uh, fat black queer roller skater. It's an interview with her, but also talking about... Uh, how she was featured in a mini documentary by Nike. The documentary was about different female skaters kind of exploring diversity within skating and specifically different types of female skaters. And she ended up kind of getting attacked as part of, like after the campaign launched, there were just all, there was all this vitriol aimed towards her. Um, you mean like trolling online? Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the, on the like Nike page. Yeah. Um, and while I don't, Nike was sort of a, a bit unresponsive about that. I mean, they did, uh, they did take some steps, but uh, the filmmaker was was much more solicitous and trying to and in, in talking with her and because um, it's it's you feel like you're taking ground and the trolls make it quite quite palpable that like no you haven't no you haven't we're going to make sure you stay in your place uh, and uh, it's it's really unfortunate and I think mm-hmm. women do experience that a lot more than men do in many cases. Yeah. I know even just for a mainstream woman to be involved with skate color, cu- culture can take a little bit of elbow throwing to make mm-hmm. some space for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she she went on to talk about how, you know, initially she was just in this really dark space about it and just, just felt so beat down, but turned the pain into art and made a video uh, and kind of spoke directly to the the trolls. And she said, dear Nike trolls, thank you for reminding me why the world needs people like me. Why I do what I do. I cry and I rise. You may try to destroy me, and still I rise. I'm proud that my friends and I have a mini duck on Nike Journal. 
Um, mm. She goes on to thank her friends. And I think also she talks about kind of how, you know, going through this journey, you know, turning the pain into art and then also achieving liberation through changing her style, going from baggy shirts to neon crop tops and shiny pleather short shorts instead of jeans. Um, and just really appreciating how fully embracing her body and changing her fashion to not cover her body, but really just kind of showcase everything. Yeah, celebrate the body. Yes. But yeah, it was lovely, and I thought it was appropriate, given it's Fat Liberation Month and what we're going to be talking about in our main topic. Speaking of which, I think uh, we have someone waiting for us in the uh, the guest room. Yes. <laughs> so folks... Uh, please enjoy our conversation with Tigress Osborne. As a reminder, we will be gone for the month of May, but we will be back in early, Ju- early June. And as Trevor mentioned, we have a couple special episodes lined up for you to uh, enjoy while we're away. So as we mentioned earlier, it's Fet Liberation Month, and we thought the the best way to kind of kick things off would be to speak with our lovely friend Tigris um, about kind of like a little Fet Liberation 101 because we've talked a lot I've talked about a lot about NAFA um, and some Fet Lib stuff but a lot of our listeners um, are very new to all of this so uh, Dan why didn't you tell us a little bit about Tigris yeah so we're so happy to have you Tigris Tigris Osborne is the community outreach director and NAFA board chair Uh, She joined NAFA and the Board of Directors around 2015 and became the Director of Community Outreach in 2017. She is the founder of Full Figure Entertainment in Oakland, California, and the co-founder with activist blogger uh, Nicolette Deschene uh, Parkhurst of Red Street Girl of Phoenix Fat Force in Phoenix, Arizona. Her professional background as a youth advocate and diversity educator and equity and inclusion consultant informs the fat liberation activism she has engaged in since 2008. Welcome to the show, Tigris. Yay! Yay! I'm so happy to be Welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Yes. It's my pleasure. (laughs) So, I mean, if you don't mind, let's let's just get right to it. Um, How did you get involved with uh with fat activism um where's the place you started is i mean did you start with fat fat activism or did you start in another branch of activism um i I started with in fat nightlife so like a a billion years ago when i was a college student at smith um i i I met a member of nafa and it was the first time i'd ever heard of probably nafa specifically i think i you know i had seen some like rebellious fatties on the Donahue show and stuff like that. But it was my first encounter in real life with somebody who identified as a fat activist, but I didn't get involved with NAFA or with organized fat activism for many years after that. Um, In 2008, I started a plus size nightclub event. I was um, sort of a late bloomer to going out to clubs and stuff. And when I started going out in my early thirties, I discovered uh, a couple of plus size, um, targeted clubs in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. But I didn't find those clubs to be as welcoming to women of color as they were to men of color. And so I would come home and I would kind of complain about that to my roommate. And finally, my roommate said, why don't you just start a club? And so I did. (laughs) I had no experience as a nightclub promoter. I had only even been going out to nightclubs for, you know, probably about a year. Um, But I just sort of jumped in. I reached out to the owners of those other clubs and said, you know, like, hey, can I talk to you about having 
you know, friendly and healthy competition and creating more options for, for fat people in, in, to party together. And they were gracious with me in, in that way. And um, I talked to some other people who did nightlife stuff and just kind of jumped in, not, not really knowing what I was doing, but with a lot of enthusiasm. That's, great. <laughs> that's really great. Well, and that's so often the way it is that you yeah. see a need and you're like, nobody else is doing this. Maybe I should do this. Yeah, exactly. And it was, and I was, um, a diversity educator by day. And it was really important to me to like, if I'm going to be doing community building work during the day, I don't want to be doing the, like destructive drama kind of stuff at night <laughs> just because we're partying together. So, um, so I developed like a mission and value statement that pretty much said we're, you know, we're going to party on Friday and we're going to try our best to be the hottest plus size party in the Bay area on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, on, cause the party was called full figure Friday. So on Friday night, we're going to, you know, we're going to tear it up at the club. And then what are we going to do the rest of the week that also helps fat people? Ah, um, and, that's, that's really crucial. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my orientation. So I started going to, um, the BBW bashes, which I don't know if y'all have talked about, but they're sort of like weekend long or sometimes week long party conventions. I call them fat girl spring break. Um, and I started going to those. Um, we, should, we should just say for some listeners who might not know, BBW is Big Beautiful Woman. It's, yes. the, it's the female analog, straight woman analog of uh, Chub Chaser, of Chub. Exactly. And so um, so I started going to the bashes in Vegas and some of the Southern California bashes. And um, and there would always be a NAFA table there. Um, Peggy and Darlene from that NAFA would usually be staffing, you know, an info table of fun, like, uh, you know, um, platonic friend making version of speed dating or some kind of something <laughs> for people to meet each other. And so we should, we should remind people what NAFA actually stands for. Yes. Thank you. Um, NAFA <laughs> is the national association to advance fat acceptance and NAFA is, uh, you know, was founded in 1969. So has been around for a long time and has had lots of different iterations, which I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about, but um, <laughs> you know, at, at, um, at the bashes, the bashes are not, about fat politics. They are about fat partying. Um, yeah. But the NAFA folks were always there, sort of in the same way that I, with my club, was like, yeah, we party, but we also do this other stuff. They're, you know, some of the bash promoters want to make, want to make space for that, you know, for reminding people who are unfamiliar with political um, fatness that that mm-hmm. is a thing that exists and that there are these people doing fat, right works, fat rights work and stuff like that. So, um, so the NAFA folks invited me to plan one of their fashion shows when their annual conference came to San Francisco. And ah, that was okay. how I became directly involved with NAFA. That makes sense. I mean, you pointed to something that I think is, if you don't mind my saying it this way, I think it's the sharp end of the stick. There's a lot of people who are very involved in the fat party scene, particularly mm-hmm. chubby chasers, mm-hmm. and not so active <clears throat> when it comes to maybe the political aspects. And I know a lot of chubby chasers I've met who have this attitude of, you know, I'd like to help, but I don't feel qualified. Like, I'm not the one who's fat. You know, my partner is, my girlfriend is, my boyfriend is. And uh, so... I'm curious what you would say to that. Like, it's not so much that they feel it's not their fight, but more like it's not their place. Um, there's always a place for allies. I mean, and I know, I know people in more politicized movements have some objections to the word ally because um, it's, you know, can, can sometimes feel really passive for folks um, mm-hmm. as opposed to some phrase like agent of change or some other, you know, some other terminology people are using. But we still Our talk friend about- of the podcast. 
Our friend of the podcast, Dexter, calls it co-conspirator. Yes, I've yes, I've heard that one. Um and I love those, like especially like the more <laughs> radical parts parts of me love those. But I also know that people when people are baby stepping into this, calling them a co-conspirator is sometimes a little overwhelming for them. <laughs> That's a bit much, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I so we still talk about allies and you know, we, we need allies of all sizes. I mean, when we're talking about the the civil rights of fat people, we know that groups get their civil rights because they demand their civil rights and also because people in the more privileged group work together with them, you know? Mm. And so we have to have that. If you're trying to change the minds of bigots and only the people they are bigoted against are trying to change their minds, unfortunately that doesn't work. And that can be really, really frustrating sometimes. Like, why do I have to enlist thin people to speak on my behalf? But the reality is that, that, that sometimes is very helpful because sometimes that's the only person someone else can hear someone who is thin yeah. themselves yeah. or someone who is fat and still really dealing with a lot of internalized anti-fatness. Um, you know, they see thin people as authorities. And so sometimes it, it is a difficult balance between like not positioning yourself as an authority on somebody else's life, but also recognizing that there are people who will see you as the authority and listen to you in a way that they won't listen to those, those people themselves. It is challenging. Um, but I think if you're committed to loving fat folks, not just like sort of loving on fat folks, but like actually loving <laughs> fat folks, um, then, you know, then, then you need to be in the struggle with fat folks. Like, yeah, I mean, I know for myself as a chubby chaser, I really get that my experience moving through the world as a chubby chaser is direct, directly related to how people treat fat people. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's I, I, on the one hand, I mean, yes, I'm an ally, but on the other hand, I am very much affected by this because yeah. whatever people think of fat people is how they think of me and my attraction to fat people. Well, it you directly know, Bill- transfers. Yes, it does. Well, because you're in tandem, right? So you're not experiencing the same oppression, but you're like no. oppression adjacent in a way that affects mm-hmm. you legitimately and also means that you have a bird's eye view of some of the things that other people don't see in terms of the treatment of fat people, right? Absolutely. And, you know, what you just said reminds me, Bill Fabry, who's the founder of NAFA, um, you know, founded NAFA because he was a fat admirer. Um, He had a fat wife who he was watching go through the world and face all of the struggles in employment and in finding clothing and in, you know, personal self-esteem and like all of those things. But before he married Joyce, you know, Bill talks about like being a teenager who liked fat girls and Mm -hmm. how much his social community ostracized him because he wanted to take the fat girl to the prom. And they all thought that was funny, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's, you know, he's in his seventies. And when he talks about this, you can still, you can still hear the hurt in his voice when he talks about being ostracized by his peers. And so like, of course, in fat community, we don't want to center the voices of non-fat people who are like hurt in a, because their lives are in tandem with ours. But also we don't want to dismiss those stories because, you know, like it's all part of the human experience. And, Mm. um, and if we're in community together and we care about each other, then we care about each other's healing. And Mm. so, um, so, you know, so we, we have to balance acknowledging privilege when you are the person who moves through the world in a body that is seen as accessible with also, you know, with, with making some some space at the appropriate, you know, times and and places for folks to process the way people have treated them because of what they like, because Mm -hmm. of who they love. I think we have to balance those things. Yeah. That's well said. When I also think there's something to, uh, 
being I've this is like I'm, I was trying to think of when I said this in the podcast. I think it was probably like one of our first few like episodes one through five, maybe. Um, but using your privilege and kind of recognizing the the privilege you have that can be seen as authority and you know uh, tigress and i were talking about kind of the the frustration of you know i say something it can't you know doesn't get through but if dan says it's like oh my god you're right <laughs> mm-hmm. um but recognizing the privilege and using it to your advantage it not using it to your advantage but using it to move the needle yeah move the needle as like yeah. Weaponizing your privilege to further a cause. <laughs> You're not making this sound good, baby. <laughs> I know. <it's> a- <laughs> I mean, like, I love all that kind of language, right? Like weaponizing yeah. your privilege and co-conspirator. And like, I love all that kind of language. I know that, you know, one of NASA's roles is it's sort of like um, our colleague or comrade, <laughs> like that kind of language, mm-hmm. Max Airborne from Fat Rose, which is a, a, a radical fat, um, direct action organization in the Oakland and San Francisco area. Max talks about the the uh, the um, the ecology of fat community or the um, mm-hmm. ecosystem of fat community. And I know that in that ecosystem, NAFA is one of the more moderate groups. Um, mm-hmm. And and I actually think that's important. I personally am somewhere probably between moderate and radical. Like, I don't think the radicals would call me a radical, but everybody else does. Um, and especially in Arizona where I live, people really oh, think yeah. I'm a radical. <laughs> you know, I have this loud brown girl who's fat and showing it off and stuff. And yeah, they all think I'm, you know, that weird California liberal. Um, and, but in, you know, in the rest of the world, it's revolutionary to refer to yourself as fat unapologetically. And so, mm-hmm. so you have to give, NAFA some revolutionary status for that um, at age 52, because we've been doing it for 52 years. Mm. But also, um, you know, in this, in the ecosystem of, uh, in the ecology of, of, of fat liberation organizations, we are, you know, sort of, I think at this point by design, I think of us as the gateway organization for people who are new to this. And mm. so, um, so again, like, yeah, if you, when you start saying stuff like you're going to weaponize your privilege, that's over a lot of people's heads or it's a little like too political <laughs> yes. for where they're baby stepping in. So what I see us as doing is like receiving those folks in their baby steps and, um, and doing some of the work to help shape them, to move them along that spectrum of radical um, self-love and radical community love and activism. Mm. And so um, that piece about privilege is super important because often people come in Often white fat people, especially if they are also privileged in other identity ways, right? Cisgender, straight, Mm -hmm. able-bodied, whatever, come in to fat activism with the attitude of fat is the last acceptable form of prejudice and it's just Uh, wrong. If you Mm -hmm. ever said those kinds of things about the gays or the blacks, then you'd be run out of town, but you can say anything you want to about fat people. And then, you know, the gays and the blacks and the other people who are marginalized (laughs) in their bodies in other ways are over here side-eyeing them like, are you effing kidding me right now am i allowed to curse on this podcast yes Yes, you are (laughs) (laughs) i should have asked before we started taping you know because yeah because people are you fucking kidding me right now like the last acceptable form of prejudice for real um Mm -hmm. and so part of it is being a space where people can like first of all get checked on that kind of language but hopefully checked in a way that allows them to step back and reflect and think about how fat liberation 
movement needs to be in solidarity with other anti-oppression movements because Mm -hmm. we're not liberating fat people if the gay black people, the gay fat people and the black fat people and the disabled fat people are still oppressed in those other ways. We have not achieved Mm -hmm. fat liberation Mm -hmm. if people stop making diet demands or stop making fat jokes on tv but the police are still shooting black people in the back like mm-hmm. we yeah. that's not what liberation looks like right and so we um so we're, we hope to get those people who are like new to this and who don't have a framework for that sort of intersectional um understanding of liberation and you know and, and work with them towards that understanding you know i i think that's a really great way of distinguishing like how nafa fits into that ecosystem, uh, which is one of the things we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, if someone were just starting out, like someone, like, you know, some, I'm just going to posit there's some chubby chaser out there who says, yeah, I should be more active. What do I do? How uh, would you, I mean, I, cause what is it, what does that path look like? Cause it can look like a lot of things. It can look like a lot of things. I mean, one of the, the beauty, one of the beautiful pieces of the internet as a tool for connection is that it's, there are lots of great starting places on the internet, right? You follow mm-hmm. NASA, you follow some other fat organizations, you follow some unapologetically fat influencers on Instagram or Twitter, and you get these, you get these bite-sized uh, pieces. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, um, that can be one of the easiest entry points for people. If there are in-person fat activities near you, Um, you know, you can look for the fat parties, you can look for the fat clothing swaps, you can look for the fat swim, uh, you know, swim days at the at the pool or whatever. If you've never been in a space where people are being unapologetic about their fatness, it's incredibly empowering. And I I have been in those spaces for long enough. um, And maybe just come from a fat enough family that I have fat people around me, but in a more like political and social way, I've been in those spaces for long enough that I have um, have come to take that for granted a little bit. And, you know, I came into activism in the Bay Area and the Bay is home of, you know, a lot of fat liberation movements and a lot of fat liberation movement leaders from various generations. So I think of like, and I'm, I'm sure somebody else has broken this down officially, but I probably Charlotte Cooper, who's an incredible like scholar of fat activism. Um, but I think of fat activism in sort of three waves. There's like the, there's like the Bill and NAFA and fat underground wave. And then there's like the nineties sort of like, I think of it as the Marilyn Wand wave. Mm. Um, and then there's, you know, and then there's this sort of contemporary, I think of as the social media wave, um, mm-hmm. the, the where body positivity blows up on Instagram and, and kind of co-ops fat liberation a little, well, a lot, but, but still, <laughs> you know, the, the, the sort of, the current wave to me is like the third wave. And in the Bay, there are folks representing all those waves. And so I always had, but didn't always know I had fat dance available to me. Like there's an annual, big annual dance show. You know, there were, there are political groups. There are, now there's a, uh, like a roller skating and skateboarding group. Like there's all these specific, oh, like niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called chub rolls. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's super, um, uh, it's super intersectional in, in terms of who it's welcoming. The main thing is like we we center fat bodies and we want to be LGBTQIA um, welcoming and and it's like owned and operated by like a, a a queer POC and like 
it, it's but like it's about skateboarding, right? But it's skateboarding mm-hmm. with fat people in mind. So does the skateboard hold my weight? Do I need to move differently? You know, with what does it mean if I fall and I land and I've got more weight behind that fall or whatever? Like all of that stuff, right? But Trevor, Trevor, you didn't we talk about this on the on the podcast? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, we talked about Trevor um, a couple times. Oh, good, yeah. good. I love yes. Andy. Hi, Andy. Um, and mm. I think Chub Rolls is great. And it's just like, and there's fat hiking groups and there's like, there's fat subgroups of things. You don't have to start with, you don't have to start with fat political action. If, if that's your thing, great. And you can either find something near you or you can start something near you. And most of the things that are local have leaders who would love to see these things in other places. So mm-hmm. you want to start a fat political action group that does, you know, direct action. I know, again, I'm going to mention Fat Rose. Fat Rose does stuff like, you know, they're, some of them are the people that are sometimes referred to as the Antifa tank division. Because there are a bunch of like <laughs> old disabled fatties on scooters, and some conservative <laughs> pundit was like, "Oh, Antifa has a tank division now," and they were like, "Fuck yeah!" And they like made T-shirts to say Antifa tank division, right? So like, so they're badass in that way, right? And if you're engaged in political activism in that kind of way, um, and there's no one in your geographic area who is reach out to the folks at Fat Rose. Cause like, I know I don't speak for Fat Rose. I'm not like a, one of their leadership core, but I know those folks and I work in community with them. And I know they would love to see you doing that kind of political action where you live. Right. And the same thing is true of like, you know, the fat traveling people, the fat, um, the fat athletic people, the fat fashion people that, you know, fat fashion is one of the most accessible ways to get involved, especially for people who, especially for women and femmes and people who like, what is labeled as women's clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a growing movement of, you know, of, of fat guys doing high fashion stuff and mm-hmm. um, gender fluid folks and like everybody. And so, so you can get involved in these fun ways if you're not ready for the politics yet, but there's going to be somebody in the fun mix who is one of the people like me, who's like, I do the party, but I also do the politics and you're going to get exposed and you're going to be able to find other people if you want. Mm. Political Wouldn't stuff. you, this has been my experience. I don't know, see if you agree. My experience has been, if you just start where you are mm-hmm. at whatever you're ready for, and yep. let's say if you just involve yourself with fat people, yep. you're going to run into fat oppression and there's going to be an opportunity for activism. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, and also, if you share your experiences when you run into it, yes. you often find mm-hmm. that you know way more people than you thought you did who've also mm-hmm. run into it. If you post on your Facebook page an experience with um, fat media, which means fat hatred, or you know, anti-fatness at your doctor's office, you're going to hear from every fat person you know who's experienced that at their doctor's mm-hmm. office. And uh, sometimes we don't talk about the kinds of experiences we have with anti-fatness because of the shame involved, especially if we are still working on our own internalized stuff. And then like, I've been, I've been doing this as a sort of public figure, right? Like since I started my nightclub event since 2008, I still have times when I don't like my body or I think that I should change or I, you know, I'm tempted to succumb to the pressures of diet culture after years of doing this and very actively doing it and teaching it and leading others. I still have those moments because it is so culturally pervasive. But what happens is a lot of folks in those moments are shamed out of telling anybody else because Mm -hmm. they turn it into my doctor. My doctor did something really horrifying to me as a fat person. And that's my fault for being a fat person. 
not uh. that's my doctor's fault for being an asshole, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or even my doctor's fault for being well-meaning and but but buying into the the standard narrative, like even even that. As we mm. talked about, I think, er, you know, just earlier in this episode, a lot of fat men, you know, they deal with a lot of fat oppression, but because males are acculturated to like, well, we don't talk about the trouble we're having. Yeah. That's yeah. just me. I don't need to share that kind of, because we mm-hmm. sometimes as men think of it as a weakness to share something bad that happened to us as a vulnerability. And yeah. I think where women may, may feel less of that inhibition. I think that can be true. And I also think that um, we have a sort of, at at this stage in our culture, in Western culture, we have, and especially in white Western culture, but I I think I would, I think it's safe to say in Western culture in most communities, um, we have an idea that fat guys, there's more visibility for fat guys in some ways. Um, so when we think about something like mainstream television, where we have, you know, a 50 year history of fat guys within wives, but we don't have a 50 year history of fat women with, with, um, you know, with hot husbands or with conventionally hot husbands. Um, and so like there, because of stuff like that, because of the sort of, um, the ways that average looking men or, or men who are not conventionally attractive, um, can still have a lot of visibility. Um, then we tend to dismiss it as an issue for fat guys, right? Like, it's not as hard for you to be a fat guy as it is to be a fat woman. And there may be ways that that is socially true, but when it comes to things like civil rights and when it comes to things like mm-hmm. access issues, mm-hmm. you know, if it doesn't matter what gender you are if you need to fit an airplane seat and the rest of the plane is looking at you like you're the problem. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what gender you are if you have a boss who is making discriminatory comments. I mean, so, you know, obviously sometimes gender can be related, especially if you are any marginalized gender. Um, but, but, you know, but like there's fat guy stuff too. Like just because we have like, you know, the lovable fat guy stereotypes in, in media, you know, like just because Homer looks like Homer and Marge looks like Marge does not mean that in the real world, Homer wouldn't be facing some really discriminatory, discriminatory stuff about his body. And also there's increasing cultural pressure on men to conform to a particular body type too. So Mm. we just talked about that. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, I I hear over and over again. I mean, you were talking before about at at events, you know, you're talking about BBW bashes and where it's, it can be this liberating space because all of a sudden you're, you're sort of with your people and, and uh, the blinkers are taken off. And I've, I've been at so many events where it is the first time that a guy has taken his shirt off at the pool. Like Mm -hmm. he's in his Mm -hmm. forties and he's never taken his shirt off at the pool. And it, it was like, and, and that may be the biggest thing he takes away from that weekend because it was yep. so life altering. And I've heard that too from women at BBW bashes who, who have that same sort of literally just not covering up. And yep. it's, it's, as we'll talk about probably in other episodes, this is a huge aspect to events that it doesn't seem political, but it's radical. Yep. And the same thing with, you know, minor actions, like being able to eat with 
people and not mm-hmm. and know that they're not you know, like I like we we have all these laughs over Crystal Bugon um, in San Jose California had a brick and mortar store for many years called Curvy Girl Lingerie and she'd have this big fashion show every year and I got um, interviewed by local you know like local TV channel at one talking about how everybody should have a meatball because the thin girls get to have a meatball and you can eat a meatball in public too and and it seems silly right and we laughed and I looked you know kind of silly with like ah oh, meatballs you know <laughs> but um, but I stand behind what I said that eating in public especially as a visibly fat person is a political action because Mm -hmm. there is so much pressure um, for you to pretend that you somehow magically got fat by not eating. And like, and I know there are a variety of reasons and ways that people get fat, but they involve food in most cases (laughs) for most of us. Right. (laughs) Um, There's this sort of reflex. Yeah. Yeah, they're not unrelated. There's this reflex where we're supposed to say like, no, I only eat salad. I'm trying so hard to lose this weight. And so if you're in public, like, I'm going to eat this pizza. And if I want to eat the whole pizza, I'm going to eat the whole pizza. You know, that's the middle finger up to whoever's watching you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Trevor, Trevor and Don, check, check me on this. Because I know that I've read a lot of times that women will worry about what to eat on a first date because it's mm-hmm. gotta, they got to look good eating it. Do you guys think Trevor and Don, do you, is there a similar thing in gay culture where a fat, fat guy worries about what to eat on a first date? Cause I don't think so. And that's like kind of the difference that, that Tyrus is pointing to. What do you I, I have to say, no, not for me. Yeah. That's not something my, I my only about. concern would be like getting something like, Getting my shirt messy. Yeah, so you're not you're not going to order the spaghetti because it's yeah. Hard to or I'm not going to no, meat, in my no meatball kind of on my yeah. first date. Yeah, no meatball. Yeah, yeah. You're like, uh, no well, soup, I'm going to have a little. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of that too, right? But it's not going to be around what this person thinks about my appetite. It's just going to be around like I don't want to be you know sucking on a chicken wing bone in front of somebody I just yeah. met. <laughs> like so there is there's going to be some of that and you know and of course some of that stuff like again like there we do have to acknowledge where there are gender differences and expectations around Mm -hmm. bodies and behavior some of that is diet culture and some of that is perceptions of femininity right um Mm -hmm. you know you need to eat the dainty things because you have to gently tap the side of your Mm -hmm. mouth with your napkin and you know you can't get anything on your hands and like and there's a you know there are different expectations for for um for different genders around that piece too. Um, But when it comes to just like pure appetite, and this is one of the big changes, I think over the course of the sort of five plus decades of organized fat activism. And I always talk about organized fat activism because we know there were fat people boldly living their lives. We know there were fat people taking leadership in other kinds of civil rights movements before NAFA, right? Mm, Um, And especially in black and brown communities, we know that many of like civil rights leaders were fat black women and, you know, women in the Chicano pride movement uh, or Chicana pride movement. Like Mm -hmm. we we have to acknowledge that, that fatness and political fatness exist before NAFA. So I always say like the organized documented fat rights movement. But even in the 50 years of that movement, um, some of the differences in approach have to do with things like respectability politics. And like, Mm. how do we as fat people need to make ourselves feel more acceptable to this? Like, we're just like you, but thin, you know? Mm. Um, And in fact, do we have to prove that we're 
being really good as fat people. You know, we talk about the idea of the good fatty and the good fatty is somebody who is exercising and eating quote unquote right so that they can either show that they are trying to lose weight or so that they can say, well, I'm trying so hard and it's just not working. So therefore you should accept me versus the people who are like, I'm not trying to do that. I don't, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm worried about myself, my pleasure, my self-expression, whatever. I'm not worried about you. And so in the early days of fat activism, you would never create a flyer that had a fat girl eating a donut on it because it would horrify Mm -hmm. everyone, including many of the other fat people who were like, we can't be reinforcing this stereotype that all we do is sit around and eat donuts. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, whereas today, um, I think fat activists today and body liberation activists and body love people, whatever people call themselves, are much more likely to be like, look at me eating this donut. You can't mm-hmm. say anything about it, you know, mm-hmm. and like, well, but just, I, I think that also plays into the greater uh, body positivity that, you know, all those all those thin girls they're restricting too. They're not eating their own donut, even though mm-hmm. they want to. And mm-hmm. so I think there is something, there is something in the radical fatty. There's a contribution made by the radical fatty. Who's like, you know what? I'm going to eat a donut. You eat a donut too. If you want, fuck all y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's why body positivity owes so much to fat activism, yes. um, to individual fat activists and people who don't think of themselves as fat activists, but who are just like fat visibility champions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, body positivity owes a lot to that. And, you know, there's some, there's some discussion about like, does body positivity, does that term come from the phrase from the organization, the body positive? What what is the role of people with um, people with burns and scarring who were very visible about embracing what they look like on the, Mm -hmm. you know, on the early days of social media. And like, there's other contributions to body positivity, but it is undeniable that body positivity is rooted in the organized fat activist movement. Some of the language Mm -hmm. of early body positivity comes straight out of um, the fat underground fat manifesto, which is, you know, from 1972, I want to say the, the mm. fat underground was a group of radical feminists who like, we kind of like what NAFA is doing, but that is not enough for us. And <laughs> we're going to, we're going to do this whole much more radical thing. And they wrote this manifesto that talks about, you know, coming after the shrinking industries, AKA diet culture oh, yes. and, mm. you know, and, and being in solidarity with other anti-oppression causes and like, and, and, um, you know, having the right to medical treatment, like all of the things that we're, we're still talking about now, you know, that document is foundational. Back to that question about like, where can somebody start if they're brand new to this? If you want to learn more about the politics, just Google the fat underground and the fat manifesto and, and see how they talked about being unapologetic in in fatness. Um, Cause we have a history of this. This is, there are people who think this started with Instagram, like with body positive, (laughs) you know, with like, with like size 12 women embracing themselves on Instagram. No, no. Yeah. Which, which is at once discouraging and encouraging. It's discouraging that we're still talking about the same thing Mm -hmm. for 60, 70 years. On the other hand, I think there, you know, there has been ground taken. Don, do you want to lead us into the last question? I feel like, yeah. Well, it just, I, I'm curious what Tigris is saying, but like, I feel like in the time that I have been aware of NAFA, that the public percept, the way it's presented in mainstream eyes has changed already. I remember when I first heard of it, it's just sort of popped up on the scene with a vengeance and all of a sudden, but it was a joke, right? Like you mm-hmm. believe there are fat people who accept what they look like, 
right? I think it was all sort of Bill Maher-esque, mm. you know? Mm, yeah. Um, I don't hear that anymore. I, I I don't hear it talked about a tremendous amount in mainstream, but when I is, when, when I do, it's sort of discussed the same way I would expect to hear, you know, a, any sort of political action group uh, advocating think, a position now. Well, I think, I think whether what you just said is accurate or not sort of depends a little bit on the communities that you interact with. I definitely okay. think there are still, there is a growing understanding in other anti-oppression movements that anti-fatness is a form of oppression. It's not a physical, it's not a personal failing, it's systemic oppression. And mm -hmm. so therefore we need to be in solidarity. And I think there's a better understanding from fat liberation movements that we, of the same thing, like the same frameworks that we're talking about dismantling are the frameworks that are rooted in racism and classism and these other sort of social injustices. And so we all need to be working together. And because of that, you see more, um, you see more folks across the board, including anti-fatness, as a social justice issue. And that is, I think, harder to just dismiss as like, oh, those uppity fatties trying to make excuses right. for themselves right. or whatever. There is a full and thriving subculture on the internet of people who spend their entire lives just looking for ways to mock fat people who are engaging in liberatory practices right in, liber in in any kind of liberation mentality you know if you try to google fat positive if you try to search fat positive stuff on youtube you have to wade through a buttload of videos mm, that have yeah. millions of views that are literally just like montages of people of fat people demanding their rights and other people mocking them for that um, there's a whole subculture of I used to be fat and I thought fat liberation was okay, but really I was just making excuses for myself. And now that I'm thin, I can tell you that fat liberation is a joke. Like there, there's a whole subculture of that. Yeah. I, I, I know that your horrible. listeners can't see the face oh, yeah. you're making, mm -hmm. but I can. And it's the same yeah, face I'm no, making true. because it's. And, and, and I would put it pitch in there that that is my number one argument for why mm -hmm. it's not a health issue. Mm -hmm. None of these people are going off and are, are going off on this tangent about, you know, health markers it's just raw shrieking prejudice that's it's what just, that's about that's what it's about and it's and it's bullying right it's it's you know it's being and, and it's often directed at people who have multiple multiple marginalizations and that's not to say that there are mm. no like you know cis het straight i mean cis het white people who are fat who get mocked on the internet they do because look at tess holiday i mean i as far mm -hmm. as i know tess is mm -hmm. straight and um and you know she's one of the most trolled people on the whole planet but yep. like but also if you have additional marginalizations then the fat phobes will focus in on that too um so you know because then you're not just an uppity fat you're an uppity fill in the blank whatever else you're supposed to be sitting down somewhere and being quiet uh, about mm -hmm. and so so folks who have it in multiple ways tend to get it from multiple directions absolutely um sana lee is a great example of that um she's a fat sex therapist um you know supersized um uh, south asian american woman and she is horrifyingly trolled um uh, uh, and like and, and not just like we, we tend to think of trolls as people who just like pop up and comment on things you've now we're talking about people who make who actively make campaigns against fat people right mm -hmm. reddit groups who sit and plot and try to find out ways to dox people so that they can not just harass them on the internet but also harass them in real life like it's pervasive and it's hella gross 
Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. yes, on the one hand, there is a little bit more of a mainstreaming of the understanding that, that fat rights are human rights and that we should be including them when we're talking about any kind of human rights. And the pushback of, against that idea is still there. It is full of vitriol. It is often violent in, in the mm-hmm. language that it uses, especially directed towards women. Like there's a lot of like rapey and suicidey kinds of, you know, mm-hmm. things that people are told. And it's just, um, and you know, and that stuff has a real world. And, impact. Well, and, and I would hook that back into, I don't think men experience that the way women do or women of color do. I don't think they get trolled like that. I think that that a lot of the that as men we're because of our just being male, just that privilege. I think if not, it does certainly doesn't eliminate, but I think it diminishes the trolling to such a significant degree that it's almost hard for a lot of us men to see what it's like to yeah. not be that mm. because it's so it's so insulating in some ways. Yep. Yeah. And I think the response that we have to women when they're being trolled like that is often, you know, the same fucked up response that we have to like sexual assault survivors of like, well, if you hadn't put yourself out there, you wouldn't be getting that. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, the, or the worst one is like, oh, well, I don't know both sides of the story. You know, yeah, you, mm-hmm. right? you uh, need to know the other side of the story. We had we had this <laughs> <laughs> troll campaign directed at us at NAFA um, a couple of years ago where this uh, uh, radio station DJ in one of the Southern states, I don't remember which one, um, but created a, a fake story that, um, that NAFA was trying to get Waylon Jennings pulled from, canceled from, from country radio. Oh, I and remember the, that. The story was, you know, he has a lyric that says life ain't worth living without a hard bodied woman. And therefore he's telling you to kill yourself if your wife is fat. And so NAFA is trying to get him canceled. And we got, we had letters pouring in from, um, I'll say very Trumpish individuals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, to, and to be clear, yeah. to be clear, NAFA never, ever did this. Like NAFA no. never did that. Like we didn't even, right. there's no such thing as a South Carolina chapter of NAFA. Like the whole thing was made up. The interview he did with someone was a hired actor. Like the whole thing was completely made up. And I don't know what the, cause he tied NAFA together with a suicide prevention organization. I don't know what kind of trolling they got. I know what kind of trolling we got. Um, and often people would say, I'm fat myself, but I'm not, you know, but I'm fat myself, but I'm not a pussy like you cry baby. So I don't need an oh, organization wow. to defend me. Right. Yeah, and man. you know, you better leave Waylon alone or whatever. And we're just like, what? Waylon? The kind of things that do some hazard things on? Like, why would we be going after him? But you're like, but y'all are giving us some good reasons to think about, you know, maybe examining your community as rebel country fans, but that's a separate piece. <laughs> um, but like, but what, you know, when that happened, you know, there was one particular troll who, who apologized once he found out it was fake. And I said, and you know, he was like, please forgive me. And he had literally said, you guys are terrible. You should shoot yourselves in the head. Wow. And I said, so you want us to forgive you for telling us we should kill ourselves. And then it was, you know, fine, you fat bitch. Like you, you can't <laughs> yeah, even gracefully you take yeah, my yeah. apology, you know? Right. Mm. And so mm. there's, you know, there's, there's, they'll always make it about that. Right. They mm. will always make it about gender. If they have the opportunity to, especially if you're not a cisgender man, if you're fat, if you're trans, if you're gender non-binary, they'll always come for that as part of their coming for you as a fat person. Um, it's, and it's, it's almost like, it's almost like if, you know, we, I've done you the great honor of deeming you acceptable and you throw it in my face. It is exactly that. It's exactly that. You're uppity. And you know, 
you're you're uppity and you know and as a black woman i think of uppity usually in a racial racial context right you're being told you're getting out of your place because you're supposed to be i have never heard the word uppity used mm-hmm. about any human being except a black american mm-hmm. yeah the only person i've ever heard that word used about i um I that's how I think of it as a black person, too. And I think we always have to be careful when we're comparing, you know, different kinds of oppressions. But it, it is the to me, it's a, the same flex, right? The flex is um, you have a place you're supposed to be in and you're getting out of it. Um, I actually have heard uppity used towards women in more limited ways. But it, it's mostly it's mostly in my life that experience has been that it is used against black people. Um, but I have heard it used against feminists uh, occasionally. And I think it applies in the way that we, you know, like I don't think fat community necessarily um, needs to embrace that as the term that we, we use as collectively because it does have some of that racial context. But for those of us who live in the multiple marginalizations, and for me as a black fat woman, um, you know, it, it could be any of these ways that I'm getting out of my place, right? So when people are reacting to me because I am asserting my worth, are they mad because a woman is asserting her worth? Are they mad because this negress is asserting her worth and how dare she? Are they mad because, um, you know, because this this fat bitch has the nerve to think that we, you know, it'd be one thing if you looked like Halle Berry, but you look like you, you know? So like that that sort of like, you're not supposed to be uppity and um, and for me, um, uppityness is essential in in, in taking <laughs> yeah. my claim mm-hmm. to live my life the way that I, you know, am going to live my life. Mm-hmm. Well, Tigress, I'd love to try and uh, use our final few minutes just to work towards it to, to end on a more positive note. Sure. Um, so can you think of some examples uh, that you would consider to be like milestones in the progress that we've made towards fat acceptance already? And what are some milestones that you would like to see made in the in the future or the near future? Well, I, I think social media has made a huge difference in the lives of a lot of fat people, because even though we've been just, you know, talking about some of the ways it can uh, open you up to exposure of fat haters, it can also connect you with fat community. And um, if you're in a in a place where there's not as much commu- fat community, it can connect you with people who are in a place where there is. So you have that online community and you have that networking ability with people who are, are able to be more fortified in person by their fat colleagues and comrades. Um, and then, you know, maybe you can't do that, but you can at least get some of it online. And that's been especially important this year when people were so isolated over this past year because of, you know, various level, levels of, of quarantining in, in all of the, the different places we live. So, so, the fat presence on the internet and especially the unapologetic fat presence on the internet, I think is tremendous. Um, I think the fact that NAFA is not the only game in town has been challenging for NAFA as, as an organization. I think we didn't always know what to do with ourselves as there were more alternatives to NAFA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why we don't, you know, in some spaces have the like sort of prominence that we had as the fat organization for many decades of our existence. Um, and I actually think that's a positive thing. You know, we need to figure out our identity in, in that ecosystem we were talking about. Um, and, and also 
it's an ecosystem. (laughs) When NAFA started, it was NAFA. (laughs) And now, you know, I can rattle off this, you know, long list of of organizations that do some national work and an even longer list of of places that are doing things locally. Um, I think, you know, access, fashion is a huge piece of that community and fashion access is tremendously um, grown since, the early days of the fat activist movement and there still needs to be a lot more expansion for folks that are at the larger um, ends of the scale and for folks that don't, you know, aren't into like femme clothing. Um, But still there's a a lot more for everybody than there was before and a lot Mm -hmm. more use of visibly fat models. You know, it used to be, you could get, you know, you could get this equivalent of today's size 26 thing from Lane Bryant, but they would only show it to you on a size 12. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that visibility and fashion permeates the rest of the culture and is part of what has pushed Hollywood to have more fat visibility. It's dismal compared to what the percentage of fat people in the world looks like, but compared (laughs) to like the number of people like who used to be on TV, (laughs) um, it's, you know, it's dramatically different. So those things um, feel really important. And I think the movement is more intersectional than it was. We still have a lot of work to do in NAFA and in some other fat activist spaces around that sort of solidarity that we've been talking about with other anti-oppression groups. But I think it's better than it historically was. And it continues to get stronger in terms of like an intersectional understanding that, you know, there's not just one kind of fat person. And so we need to (laughs) be thinking about everybody's liberation. Um, and, you know, I like, I think that's actually one of the most meaningful and important pieces of the changes in the movement. It's what allows me to be in this movement, not as an outsider, but as a leader. It's mm. what, you know, and like, if NAFA can't become more intersectional, then I can't continue to chair NAFA because I need to be in an intersectional organization right. because, you know, because I'm a, because I'm a fat, disabled, Black, person from working class roots, you know, like I, I have all of these other identities that I need to not leave at the door every time I come into fat space. And I think we're getting better about that. Yes. Um, and that mm-hmm. gives me a lot of hope because we are mightier as a community when we involve our entire community. And then the final thing I would say about I that, that is I think we are, we're really moving towards less focus on individual empowerment for fat people and more of a collective move towards fat justice. And so, you know, it's Fat Liberation Month. We're doing all of these celebratory things Mm -hmm. and all of these fun things. And the last educational piece of the month is our Fat Justice webinar. And part of that is by design because we want to, you know, it's it's the drawing them in with the honey, right? Like we want to draw you in with all these like fun and wonderful and provocative in some ways, but, um, but, you know, all of these things that are, that are, celebratory and then we want to celebrate the work that's being done to um to lay groundwork for more legislative protection to you know make fat people more aware of their um the legal rights that they do have and the support that's available to them and so i think we're about to see a major shift towards more dialogue around things like national legislation to protect fat rights Mm. 
I think that's where we're going. So we're going to party all month. It's just, just like mm-hmm. what I said, think throwbacks to what I said about my full figure Fridays, right? We're going to party on Friday. And what are we going to do the rest of the week? We go and party through May. <laughs> and then, you know, we're going to party through May. We're going to love and learn and, and highlight fat folks and, and be visible and be loud. And then we're going to roll up our sleeves and dig in on some of this other justice work. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much, Tigris. Yes, thank awesome. you. Thank um, you for having me. I'm so excited. And thank <laughs> you for all the ways that, um, you know, Dan and Trevor, that you personally and then through the Big Fat Gay podcast have supported Fat Liberation Month and supported NAFA and been involved in NAFA. I'm going to tell your listeners, like Trevor's done some really transformative things for us, you know, some feedback mm-hmm. about our website that has modernized us and just, you know, full of great ideas and helping me make connections. And um, and so I'm super grateful to y'all. Thank you. Yay. Uh, so w- what is the NAFA website so people can go there directly? NAFA.org. N-A-A-F-A.org. Awesome. And on most socials, we are NAFA official. To find us on Facebook, you can just use the search for NAFA and we should come up or it's facebook.com slash equality at every side. Awesome. And Trevor, did you want to dovetail this into the tip that includes some of yes. the titles? Um, so as Tigris mentioned, NAFA has a full slate of programming for Fat Liberation Month. Um, so that's our tip is to check out the programming. You'll have missed the uh, the launch party by the time this drops. Um, but there's uh, on Friday, May 7th, there's a seminar from uh, with Philip Bergen, friend of the podcast, talking about uh, his Fatizen graphic novel, which we've mentioned on the podcast before. <laughs> uh, Saturday, May 8th, there's Bree, who was a guest on the podcast, and they are doing Fat Magic and Tarot readings. I'm not going to go through the whole list because there, there's a whole bunch of wonderful programming, but you'll be able to see information about that on NAFA's website, nafa.org, as was mentioned just a few seconds ago. Yeah. And there's, nice. there's like easily a half a dozen of these seminars. Am I right? Yes. Uh, no, I think we've got, I think we've got 14 oh, um, wow. okay. special events this month. And then we're, and we're actually still adding something to the calendar. And then we're just, um, you know, adding some special features to our blog. And so there's lots of stuff throughout the month. Um, we want to highlight some of our um, AAPI presenters because it's also Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage mm-hmm. Month. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and we know what that community is going through right now. So it's lots of different monthly celebrations. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. It's Jewish Heritage Month. It's Elder Americans Heritage Month um, or El- Elder Amer- Americans Highlight Month. But in particular, we want to highlight our AAI, AAPI, um, you know, friends and loved ones because we know what that community is dealing with right now. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so just check out the website. There's all kinds of stuff and anything that you miss, um, almost all of these events will be, um, will be taped and will be available for you to watch on YouTube later. And we're just NAFA official on YouTube. Wonderful. Awesome. Ray. Tigress, would you like to join us for our bit today? Please say yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we like to wrap up each episode with just a little something silly. Uh, today we're going to play a little trivia game Yay. and we're going to be returning to uh, fad diets that you will not <laughs> oh. believe exist. Stop the insanity! Oh God, I remember her. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, the first three are about fad diets from around the world. And okay. then the last two are based on individuals. All right. So the first question from Nepal, what is the fat black bulletproof diet. I'm saying bulletproof with uh, quotation marks around it. One, the dieter may only eat fatty meats that have been charred until black. Oh, dear. 
Two, <laughs> eat what you like, but start off each day with a cup of coffee blended with butter and oil. Three, the dieter may only eat foods that are naturally black. Or four, a diet made by well-meaning nutritionists during the 60s specifically designed for black Americans. Oh, my God. And what's the name of the diet again? It is the Fat Black Bulletproof Diet. Yikes. I mean, I know the bullet coffee thing. Yeah, me too. So, but I don't think it's that. I don't. And yeah, I think that's and he, that's that's a clever distractor. I'm gonna say the charred meat. Charred meat. Okay, we got one person going uh, for the charred meat diet. I was thinking it was the naturally black foods one. I know it's not the black Americans one. I like that's definitely something that dietitians in the '60s might have tried, but I don't think it's this particular diet. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's a whole other kettle of nonsense. That's a whole we've got other. Charred and we've got naturally black. Um, Dan, I, I just know that when I, when in doubt, agree with Trevor. That's usually my, my <laughs> life plan. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm right, going to go so with the charred thing. Yeah, two for charred, one for naturally black, and the correct answer is. Eat what you like, but start each day off with a cup of coffee blended with butter and oil. Oh, no. Yep. no I knew people were doing us. that. I've, yeah, I've heard of that, but I didn't think it was the answer to this question. I'm oh, telling you, all of calorie... those things, people are probably doing all those things. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, apparently, it's from uh, a eureka moment that a Silicon Valley entrepreneur yep. had while drinking a cup of yak butter tea. As one so. does. Oh. As one does, you know. As one does daily. <laughs> you know, we can't okay. get good yak butter now. I don't know what's happened. There is a stapling diet that believes piercings can help lose weight. Of course they do. What do they believe you need to pierce? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. One, your eyebrows. Two, your ears. Three, your nose. Four, your nipples. Or five, down there. <laughs> to help you lose weight. To help you lose weight. Oh, good Lord. <sighs> Eyebrows, ears, nose, nipples, or down there. I'm going to go with nose because yeah. if you were going to, if you were going to faux healthify this nonsense, you would probably say, well, you know, taste is related to smell and mm -hmm. blah, 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 That's blah, my, blah. Follow yeah. the rabbit down the hole, you know? All right. I'm going to say nose because... I would go by kind of like I try to think about chakra stuff maybe, oh, but I don't. Yeah, I'm right. not familiar. I don't know. There's there's chakra, no chakra there, so. but okay. <laughs> well, no, but like I'm trying to think of the other body parts and where they align. And what Come on, damn the nose chakra. <laughs> oh, I, do you nose that? <laughs> uh, Tigress, do you have a guess on this one? I was also gonna say nose, and my thought was like maybe your piercing, you know, blocks you from the tempting scent of food. Oh, there you gotcha. Go. All right. Well, we got three for nose. The correct answer is in fact. Ear stapling. <laughs> Apparently, this, this is it. Officially comes from China, but it's really mostly done in the U.S. Oh, the, the idea is that there's an acupuncture point yeah. inside the ear. Um, there's absolutely no science to back it up. However, there are plenty of cases of it causing ear infection and mm. jaw pain so severe people lose the ability to chew. Oh my God, so, it works. So they work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That oh, is sick and twisted. like there are people who will be like, oh, I'll take my chances with that. Then if I can't chew, yeah. I can't eat, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's oh, insane. Man. <sighs> it's insane. It's the infection is just another added benefit of the diet, right? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Upgrading to more weight loss. <laughs> Question three. There are several diets like the cabbage soup diet that focus on eating a single food. Which of the following is a real diet? One, the sandwich diet. Two, the stuffed pastry diet. Three, 
the cherry cordial diet or four, the pizza diet? I I want it to be the cherry cordial diet because that's just so ridiculous. <laughs> but I think it's I think there's such a thing as a pizza diet. I'm yeah, I'm I'm torn between sandwich and pizza, but I'm gonna go with pizza. All right. I, I also think it's pizza, but I like the the way that diety people hate carbs. I'm like, is it cauliflower crust pizza? Uh, there's some yeah. caveat to this pizza where it's not really pizza. But I still think the answer is pizza. <laughs> All right. So we got three pizzas on this one, too. Mm-hmm. Please let it the be correct answer. Cordial. From Spain, we have the sandwich diet. Ah. Oh. Uh, on this, it only has two rules. You must substitute one daily meal with a sandwich. And whatever you eat must fit between two pieces of bread. No side dishes or snacking. And there's no <laughs> limit on the size of bread. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> These people have not ever been to Texas Roadhouse. I remember when I was studying in Spain, uh, I, I, my, my Spanish professor was like, I heard that in the United States, mothers send their children to school with sandwiches for lunch. And she was just so appalled at the meagerness and the paltriness of, because in Spain, their big, their big meal is midday. Mm-hmm. So that would be like us having a sandwich for dinner. So it, it, she was just appalled. That, and so I can imagine that if you were thinking of diet for food restriction in Spain, that a sandwich would seem mm-hmm. like food restriction. Mm-hmm. That makes All sense. Right. Now we're going to move on to some specific diets from specific individuals. Okay. In his book, The Philosophy of Andy Warhol, the artist shared his dieting tip. He admitted that every time he went to a restaurant, he ordered one dishes that consisted of at least four vibrant colors on the plate. Mm. Two food. He didn't like, Oh God, three off the children's menu or four only Campbell's soup, (laughs) which is the sodium diet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I know I, this is locked away in my brain somewhere, but I'm going to say the vibrant colors. Vibrant colors. All right, we got one for vibrant <sighs> colors. Yeah. I think he orders food he doesn't like. He ordered food he didn't like, so he wouldn't eat it all. That's the diet trick. All right, we got uh, one for food he didn't like, one for vibrant colors. Dan? I, I want to say vibrant colors, but I think diet culture is all about, you know, food is punishment, food is suffering. So um, I think I'm going to go with Tigris and the... Uh, Order it. If you only order food you don't like, you'll be less inclined to eat it. Okay, we got two for food he didn't like, uh, one for vibrant colors, and the correct answer is food he didn't like. Uh, mm. um, apparently, he took great pride at the end of the dinner at getting to pack up most of his food on a to-go plate and then <laughs> leaving it in the street for a homeless person to eat. Oh man. Well, okay. Um, okay, I mean, but just think about that attitude. I'm gonna give these homeless people food I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but on, on the plus side, it's it's perfectly good food and probably yes. lovely and nutritious. It's, it's just, always a big plate of boiled Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Every time he leaves this restaurant, <laughs> I understand it. I mean, I can if I ever want to clear Trevor out of a room, I just open a can of tuna. That's, mm-hmm. that's he'll go running. <laughs> All right. So in the lead, we have Dan and Tigris at one point. Yeah. Trevor, you <laughs> might be able to tie it up, but if they get it right, you're out over the right. top. Final question. Kim Kelly, an adult film star from Los Angeles, invented the man juice diet. No. Oh, I know no. this. What did no. she consume on this diet? <laughs> I know. One, Jägermeister. Oh, yuck. Two, Bud Light with Tabasco and citrus. Oh, no. Three, 
A smoothie made with any phallic-shaped fruit or vegetable reinforced with a small dose of fresh deer blood. Oh dear, maybe four, I don't know this. Exactly what you think you'd consume on the man juice diet. I just don't think there's that. I mean, you got to have a lot of men to juice to get something sizable to drink. Jesus. Well, maybe that's the point. It's small serving. It's not so much small the servings or lots the- of exercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Trevor, you 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 thought you saw this walking into it. I thought I did, but I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say two. We got one for Bud Light with Tabasco and citrus. I, that's the one that attracts me, but maybe it's the one I just find least disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you would rather have Bud Light with Tabasco and citrus than Jaeger. Well, yeah. Okay, that's fine. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Man Juice Diet. It's called the man juice diet. As far as I know, she is the only person who has ever practiced this diet. Oh, <laughs> well, oh, oh, it's her diet. She's on this diet. It's the Bud Light one. Yes, it's the Bud Light. One. It's Bud Light with Tabasco and citrus. Yeah. All right. The correct answer is exactly what you think you're consuming oh on the man juice diet. No. <laughs> uh, she claimed that she lost uh, 10 kilograms on it. <laughs> Uh, although she admits she reinforced with banana smoothies and a bit of broccoli. Oh, and a bit of what? A bit of broccoli. Did she eat that oh. or did the men eat that? <laughs> oh, oh, no. I'm going to go with <laughs> no. her. I'm going to go with her. No, I, I thought like it was going to be the options. whole thing with a uh, pineapple. Oh, just pineapple. Oh, the remember time. the pineapple diet? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but pineapple is supposed to uh, make Flavor, certain things taste. Something. Yeah. Well, Tigress, thank you for joining us. We're <laughs> yeah. into the horrifying world of fad dieting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't think I was going to start my Sunday morning with man juice, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we nice, go. Nice talk, class. So, Trevor, I'm curious. I mean, we know where they can go to find out about NAFA, but where can they go to find out about the Big Fat Gay Podcast? Well, I'm glad you ask, as I am asked every week. We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars in a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we got one five star review from someone who wants to see Dan and Don fight. So uh, stay tuned for that. <laughs> it's, it's just a big bum fight with us with headphones on. Yes. <laughs> um, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> oh my God. Someone needs We're, to make uh, that shirt. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Our, our website is www.bigfatgaypod.com. Uh, see the articles we talked about, links to NAFA stuff. Um, just a reminder, we said this at the start of the episode. Uh, we are going on a little hiatus because Michael's uh, form of vacation is he's working even harder on something else. Oh, we'll be back. <laughs> um, we have some interlude programming in the meantime. We'll be back June s- uh, so are we recording June 2nd or is that when we we'll be back uh, early June yes June June early June uh, maybe you are uh, about to pop out your earbuds because you're going to go watch some wonderful programming from NAFA um, and Michael's there because that's why he's not in this episode <laughs> so, so I leave it to Michael to edit in his watch out watch out especially if it's 1.30 in the morning <laughs> Oh my god, he did it. Yeah. Yay! <laughs>